tonight, I have the honor of being able to share this message with you. It was originally a gift that was going to be presented to you from our sister Thelma. But as you know, her household has been hit with this virus. And so in your safety and theirs, they have been quarantined for quite a while now because it's been circulating in their home. And unfortunately, Richard, is uh, Belen's husband, is still in the hospital, so continue to pray for him. Um, you know, when we talk about the masks, it's because it's come close to home now. You know, we've heard about other people, but now it's closer to home. And so keep them in prayer, please. But I have um, this amazing opportunity to um, present this study to you. And uh, I believe that it's one that can transform your life and others' lives in more than you could have ever imagined. And that's the gift of kindness. So let's pray and ask the Lord to take over. Father, we bow before you, my God, and I just thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace in our lives. I thank you, Father, that you did humble yourself, Jesus, to come down to save us, Lord. Save us even now and continue, I pray, to work in us and through us to be that gift that you have given us to the world, Lord, that is in desperate need of the kind of kindness that I'm going to talk about tonight, Lord. And so may you anoint this, Jesus, by the power of your spirit, Holy Spirit, uh, take over. I need you to take over because I can't do this without you and I don't want to. So please, Holy Spirit, um, finish what you've begun in this message, Lord. And apparently it was for me to do. And so I honor you by doing this for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Now, throughout the Bible, you can find stories of amazing acts of kindness. And I searched the scriptures and I prayed to find just the right one that would be in accordance with our theme, the giving of the gifts. But if you recall our theme passage, it starts in, in 1 Peter 4. As the end, we are at the end of all things, right? So remember, I had said in the opening introduction that the foundation of our series is preparing for our hearts and to give these gifts to the world because we are living in the last days. And so, in that, it uh, it led me to Luke chapter ten, and so um, as I searched the scriptures, I said that. I came to this particular passage that I actually gave to Thelma, and, um, and she wasn't even sure she was going to teach from that. But it came back to me, and I, I, I'm thinking because the Lord wants me to teach on this particular passage. So in Luke chapter 10, tucked into the middle of chapter 10, is one of the most beloved parables that Jesus ever gave next to the parable of the prodigal son. And interestingly enough, these two parables, parables are going to connect. 
So we're going to be studying tonight the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, for the most part, whenever I study a passage that I find in the middle of a chapter, I've been trained to always go to the beginning to make sure I stay in context with the context. So let me first begin by bringing you up to speed on some very important points so that you can understand why we're going to arrive on the most dangerous roads there was between Jerusalem and Jericho. Now, from the moment Jesus began his ministry, he called his disciples to follow him. Jesus led them by example in the way he served, in the way he dealt with confrontation, in the way he spoke, in the way he humbly lived, in the way he gave, in the way he stopped, I mean, he uh, never stopped teaching the kingdom of heaven and the way to eternal life. Then at the end of his ministry here on earth, Jesus ultimately demonstrated what it means to lay down your life for a friend and for the world. Now, his disciples, which actually means students, his students were always learning and always being trained how to do the same. And then they went on and trained the next generation, and then the next generation trained from the word of God. And that's what we're here for tonight. This message is primarily for the church. However, the world can benefit from what you're going to learn tonight as the church. Now, in verse 1, as I said, you have to keep things in context. And this is where the context of this passage, this chapter, brings us. In verse 1 of chapter 10, it tells us that Jesus had anointed and sent out 70 of his servants, two by two with the gospel and with the power to do what in and of themselves they could have never done. But they were able to do some pretty impossible things because God anointed them. Jesus anointed them to go out and do with them. Then in verse 17, it tells us that the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So with all that they were out doing, bringing the gospel to the world, they even, they even had the power to get demons to be subject to them. And that blew their minds because the devil is powerful and his demons are powerful. But they had that kind of power invested in them through the Lord. And then verse 21 tells us Jesus rejoiced in his spirit and thanked his father. Now, I'm just giving you part of it, just just a summation of it. It says that Jesus rejoiced in his spirit to hear the joy they had. So when we are victorious in doing the things for God that he has put in us to do, he rejoices. He rejoiced then, he rejoices now. And in fact, it tells us the angels rejoice. So there's like a big party going on in heaven when we accomplish something powerful in the name of Jesus. Then in verse 23 through 24, it says, Then he, Jesus, turned to his disciples and said privately, you know, there's the crowd around, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and to hear and have not seen it and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. So Jesus 
made this promise to his disciples and to us, and it matches the promise that God the Father gave in Jeremiah 33.3, which is always one of my favorite scriptures, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now this parable, as I said, is loved by many. And even the world knows the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and how someone can do these great acts of kindness. And so they're calling them the Good Samaritan. In fact, just, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, I read on the Fox, uh, the Fox News app, there were two people that they called the Good Samaritan. I thought that was so cool since this is what I'm speaking on. One was a woman who found a little boy running rampant down the street, scared because he got off on the wrong bus stop. And she helped him and took him home. And the mother was like, thank you. I mean, they were panicking. Their son was at home when he was supposed to be. Well, that was in the news, a good Samaritan. And then a man who used jujitsu took down another man that was kidnapping a woman's child in broad daylight in a park in New York. And they called him a good Samaritan. So see, the world knows what a good Samaritan looks like in action. But there's more to this passage that is for us than being that good Samaritan. Because anyone could be a good Samaritan when they jump into action to do something good. And I believe God inherently puts that in us to do good because we're created in his image, right? So let's unwrap this passage a little bit deeper so that we can understand really the depth of what is going on in this parable. Something that I didn't know until I studied it like I did. Now, verse 25, and that's where this parable begins, says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, sitting among these people, these students, the disciples, was this certain lawyer. He was a Jewish lawyer who studied and knew the law of God very well. He knew the strictest parts of the law and probably knew all the loopholes in the law to get out of following the law, just like our lawyers do today, right? They look for the loopholes. Well, they did then as well. Now, in this parable, it's plain to see in the text That he didn't stand up with a heart to learn from Jesus, but to test Jesus and to hopefully stumble Jesus and to discredit him and to make everybody think he's just a teacher. And that's what he called him, right? Teacher. That he's not God. So by now, the disciples kind of knew that. They saw that happen a lot to Jesus. And by now, all of us should know that as well, that people are going to challenge us in our Christianity. There are people among us who would rather see us stumble and to fall than to hear what we have to say. They would rather find our faults and publish them on social media and to discredit us in whatever way possible. So all we have to do is, one, blow it, And it goes on social media. 
What kind of Christian is that? They all of a sudden know what a Christian is supposed to be, right? A good Samaritan, right? But we make a mistake, and it gets published. And that's what's happening in our midst today. Christians are trying, they are discrediting Christians. We are living in the last days in America when Christianity is being slandered in many ways. Now, again, in chapter 10, here we are, verse 3. Jesus said to his disciples, Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. We are not sent out to be pit bulls. We are not sent out to be uncontrolled beasts running in the streets, defending who we are. We are sent out as lambs, gentle, able to just be a cuddle bug, I guess. You know, <laughs> That's not easy these days, but we're not meant to be these ruffians out there. Verse 26, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Let me see it. Did I skip something? No. So Jesus continues and he says, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? In other words, how are you interpreting the law? I bet it's not the way I am. You know, I think that's I am that I am. You're interpreting it wrong. So this man answered and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, knowing the law, he quoted Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. And then Jesus said to him, well, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now, when Jesus said, do this and you will live, he already was kind of telling them, you aren't alive. But if you do this, you will live. And Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two forty, on these two answers hang all the law. So if you are... Loving God this way with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor, we wouldn't have need of courts and lawyers and prisons because everybody would be honoring God and who God is, right? Well, we know that's not the fact because people don't obey it. Now, because Jesus knows all things and what he is in the heart of man, and we read that throughout the New Testament, maybe you've noticed that whenever a dishonest question is posed to him um, in, in a form of a question, he always answers their question with a question. And so that's why Jesus said, so what is your reading of it? What is your interpretation of it? And then he gives his answer. In verse 29, then it says, But he, this lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So basically, why was he trying to justify himself? And I thought about that. Maybe this was one of those writing in the sand kind of moments. Remember where Jesus didn't have to really say it? But he wrote in the sand, you know, maybe you're this, you're that. And somehow he knew Jesus was challenging him. What is your interpretation of that? So what was going on in the shadows of this man's heart that Jesus needed to shed his light on? Not to condemn him, but so that he can live. Doesn't John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world? That's everybody. Everybody. 
that whomever believes on him would not perish but have eternal life. And that was what Jesus' concern for him was as he comes challenging him. Never did he want to shame him, but he needed to show him who he was. Now, in a sense, he was like the prodigal son, the other son. Remember the other son? The prodigal son took off, but the other son stayed home. But he had an attitude, right? He, when the prodigal, the one son that left came back, he was angry. He was, he was upset that his father would accept him back in. And he's the one that stayed and did all this work. Now you're going to have a party for him? So really, he had a prodigal heart, though he was the one that stayed at home. He was prodigal in his emotional and his spiritual being. And I believe that's where this guy was. He had that prodigal heart. He knew the word. He loved the word probably, but he was not operating in the word. Now picture this lawyer. Everybody must have been standing because it says he stood up. So he's standing taller than these fishermen, a notorious tax collector, Matthew, the diseased, the broken, the poor, possibly an ex-demon-possessed person or maybe demon-possessed people that were there, ex-cons, all a bunch of deplorables. Where have we heard that? Lawbreakers and sinners were all surrounding Jesus. Was he sick of them? Was he tired of representing them, knowing how wretched they all are? Did he become so self-righteous that he couldn't even see he was standing in the midst of the crowd? The Apostle Paul was that kind of man, remember? He was a religious man with a pedigree this high. But he also became a religious bigot. He hated Christians. He wanted them destroyed, and he was willing to kill them. Until he was traveling down a very dangerous road that Jesus stopped him dead in his tracks on that road, right? And he met Jesus there. And Jesus turned his life around, became one of the greatest apostles this world has ever known. Now, Jesus came to save us from our sins, and he also came to save us from religion that can give man a false hope and with many false false representatives of it. That's what religion can do. So now let's continue on with the parable. Verse 30, 30, it says, Then Jesus answered and he said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, in Jesus' time, this road was notoriously dangerous. Jerusalem sits up high on a hill, and it's called the City of God. So to go anywhere from Jerusalem means to go down. And to go down to Jericho was to go really down. Because that's where the depraved lived. That's where it was a dangerous city. That's where all the thieves and the murderers and, and the worst of the worst lived in that area. So to travel, anybody knew about that road. To travel there was to travel at your own risk. Now, a little note here. I thought about what good, you know, they always say, what good comes out of Jerusalem? 
Well, what, or Bethlehem? No, no, Nazareth. <laughs> what good thing ever came out of Jericho? Does anybody remember? Rahab. Rahab came out of Jer- uh, Jericho. Remember, she was called a harlot. And um, her story is pretty incredible. I wish I could share it with you tonight. But the one part I would share about her is God and his great love and his redeeming power took that woman who ended up, this is in the Old Testament, who ended up being transformed. When she was in Jericho, before the walls came down, she knew by the story she was hearing. She wasn't seeing them, but she was hearing what was happening in Egypt. And just by hearing the word, the words that were coming from what God was doing by hearing, by faith comes by hearing, right? She was hearing and she believed. And so as the story continues on, she ended up being rescued from Jericho. And you know that she went on to become one that married one of the spies that went into Jericho and later became the great-grandmother of King David. Now, is that God taking any one of us sinners and putting us in a place you would never imagine because she had a heart to hear what God was doing? Now, you think that this knowledgeable lawyer might remember this story of Rahab because it was in the Old Testament, and they looked at the lineage all the time. Who was that woman? Where did she come from? Or at least the laws of inclusion. Do you know that in the Old Testament, there are laws to include people that are not born of your race? In Leviticus 19:33-34, this was a law. If a stranger dwells with you in the land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Then in Numbers 15, 15, it says there's a law there, but it's a conditional law. So there is a condition, and it's about simulating, assimilating. It says, as you are... So shall the stranger be before the Lord. So I'm a a Christian. When a person comes in, they are to be a Christian with me. One law, one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. I'm sorry, this is Old Testament. So God is telling them, bring them in, it's okay. But they are to become one with you. They are not to pollute who you are. So with this said, where does Jesus take this testy lawyer of the law who knew the law? Down that extremely dangerous road from the heights of his self-righteousness. Verse 31 says, now, this is Jesus continuing this parable. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, this man that was bloodied and naked and stripped Beaten, laying in the, I call it a ditch. He passed by on the other side. Verse 32, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, he came and he looked and he passed by on the other side. Now a priest was appointed to represent the people in the temple of God. He would pray for the people 
And he would preside over their religious ceremonies, and he would present the people's sin offerings. So he was appointed to really get up close and personal to these sinners, right? A Levite, they were known to be custodians or caretakers of the law. They would keep it, and they would make sure everyone else was keeping these laws. So like the lawyer... As Jesus is sharing this to him, with him and the disciples and everybody are listening on, the lawyer, the Levite, the Levites knew the Mosaic law and how it dealt with sin, but also how it, they had laws for mercy and for grace and for inclusion. But the priest, what did he want to do? He wanted to get away as far away from this guy as possible. The Levite, he at least got a little bit closer to look, but he couldn't stomach what he was seeing. And maybe he even stood over him and said, you got what you deserve. And he quickly moved away and did nothing. They both did nothing. Then verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed and came where he was, this man laying in the ditch, half dead, when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on him oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Now, eyes to see, ears to hear. Can you see Jesus in this description? Jesus is describing himself. Jesus sees when we are beaten and left for dead. How many people do we know are in that place today? They feel dead inside. Well, Jesus comes to them. He comes to us. And he binds our wounds. He pours the oil of gladness over us and the wine of his healing love. And he sets us on wings like eagles to fly out of our despair. He makes us lay down in green pastures besides those still waters to restore our souls. And has your soul ever been so hurt? by people that it just feels like you have to give up on humanity because like, is there any hope left? But the Lord restores our soul and he wants to make our soul like his, one that loves. And then what did he do? He paid the price for all of this with his own precious blood. And then on top of it all, he gave us the innkeeper the Holy Spirit, to dwell in us, to continue this love and this kindness all the days of our life. Then at the very end of this description that Jesus gives, our compassionate Savior said, when I come again, I will repay you. Now with that said, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, 
starting at verse 31. Jesus, and I'm going to say this, he boldly said this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the one from the other as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed my father inherit you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you and thirsty and we gave you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now remember, as I said, blessed are your eyes to see and your ears to hear. Can you see how this amazing parable, the Good Samaritan, aligns with these words that Jesus gave in Matthew 25? Now, in a little bit, I'm going to read the end of that as well. That's the uncomfortable part of this promise that Jesus gave us to what to look forward to. Now, before I do, I want to dig a little deeper into what the gift of kindness is and what it looks like in action and who are the recipients of it. First, what is kindness? Webster's Dictionary defines it as big-hearted, good-heartedness, tender-heartedness, warm-heartedness. So Webster's is admitting that kindness has to do with the heart. The heart is more than just a muscle that sustains our life. It is also the innermost character of a person, the center of our feelings and our emotions, the center of our inclinations, which means our choices. It's the essence of who we are as individuals, and that's every human being. Webster's also adds that the byproducts coming from a kind-hearted person are charity, which is generosity, compassion, mercy, pity, sympathy, and empathy. Empathy is when you understand what someone's going through because I've been there. I know your pain. And to treat all people with dignity and respect. Why? And I'm adding this, because we are all made in the image of God. Now, this may come as a shock to you, but none of us are born kind. None of us. And all you have to do is hang out with a newborn baby, and you'll find out that really fast. And it won't be too much longer, and I'll be hanging out with a newborn. What do they do? They scream at you. They they throw a fit if you don't come and give them what they want on the spot. If you don't take off that smelly diaper. If you don't, you know, make them happy, right? And that's a baby. That's an infant. We know that they're dependent on us. So we pretty much 
tolerate it. But would we tolerate that in a 5, a 6, a 7, 13-year-old, an adult? No. It's rude. It's awful. Don't yell at me like that. Don't treat me like that. I'm not, you're not the boss of me. You know, we're going to be a little bit more upset, right, than we would at an infant. But kindness is something that you have to teach from the time they're little. It is a teachable gift. But without the power of the Holy Spirit in that person, it's not sustainable. In other words, it's limited. Have you ever been so kind that, you know, that person, whomever, they just keep draining the gift box? (laughs) It's like there ain't nothing left at the bottom of this box. Kindness has just ended. (laughs) Well, with the Holy Spirit, it never ends. James 1.17 tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, in the original Greek language, the Bible uh, definition for this word, good and perfect, are defined as completeness, mentally and morally mature. Also, to be completely consecrated in God to God in our character. And then it added without wavering. In other words, consistent. So a person who is receiving this gift from the Holy Spirit, which Christians do, this gift is to be consistently in us without wavering. Now, if you are kind today, you're going to be kind tomorrow. You would be known as reliably kind Like, uh, oh, she's always kind. I need her because she's reliable, right? Galatians 5.22 calls this one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the Father are one with Jesus. They never change. So if we can go from being kind to not, then we need to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Because if we are showing a variation of, of kindness, turning from it, then we are not in oneness with the Lord. Now, that's pretty tough, right? Because we aren't consistent. But again, like I talked about Rahab, our loving, gracious Father, and the power of his Holy Spirit is in us. He will say, oh no, you're not going to act like that to that person. You better stop it right now. He's done that to me. And I'm like, did I say that? Did I do that? You know? And that's the love of God, not willing that we stay in that kind of place that we don't belong. So what are these acts of kindness that matter to Jesus? Well, Jesus gave them in Matthew 25. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. What does that sound like? Hospitality. Linda taught on hospitality. That is being hospitable. Whether it's in your home or on the street, you're hospitable to bring things to people. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. I was abandoned and left for dead, but you stopped to care for me. You even pulled out your wallet to cover my costs. Has the Lord ever put that on your heart to do? 
Like, just pay that. Do that. And you go, I don't, I can't, I can't do that. I can't possibly do that. I think I have like 10 bucks left. Give it. <laughs> now, there are many easier ways that we can show kindness that maybe don't put you in that place of like challenging your own self. How about our words? Our words can be kind. Remember Thumper's mom? Does anybody know those old cartoons? Thumper's mom told Thumper, if you don't have anything good to say, just don't say it. So we need to really micromanage our words because sticks and stones and words do break people's hearts and bones. Now, right now, we're living in what I call the silent era. It's awful to talk through these masks, right? Forget it. (laughs) I don't know what you're saying. And so we tend to be more quiet. You go in the stores or wherever you have to go, and it's like everybody's just in and out. Get out, get out. Don't talk. Don't look them in the eye. Don't just don't get sick. You know, get away from me, people. And it's like it's interesting to me that God put us there. We've been fighting each other for so many years. All right, you're all going in a big timeout. <laughs> and not only that, they're not going to see your face. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> the other day I was at Stater Brothers, and everybody's all, you know, get it, get out, get it, get out. And um, I was in the line to pay for my turkey, and there's a lady coming, and she wasn't sure if I was in the right line or not, and, I, and, she, and her eyes just gave me the biggest smile. And I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> she goes, what, what? And I go, you just gave me a huge smile. I really needed to see that. <laughs> and she goes, you did too. <laughs> and, I'm, and so we were thanking each other as we were going out. Bye, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you know? It's just, you know, sometimes words, we can't use them, but we could use good, kind gestures. Let them see your smiling eyes right now. And then our attitudes. Have a better attitude about what's going on, knowing that the great I am is in charge. You know what? It is what it is. And what about our material gifts? Sometimes people will get a gift to you or just give a gift, and you don't even know if it's the right time. But if the Lord is prompting you, give that gift. I mean, I'm talking about a literal gift. If God puts it on your heart, do it. Real quick, this was several years ago, but Joe and I had gone out to dinner, and the Walmart was right there. I needed something. I got in this huge long line in the fast checkout. I only had one thing, but I was in the line, and and it was a long line, and I'm looking at all the people like, what are we doing in Walmart at 11 o'clock at night? (laughs) But as I got closer, I started looking at the cashier, And the cashier was just looking so, actually her head was down the whole time, but she just looked like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And then as we got closer and we got closer and I'm like, the Lord started like pounding on my heart. He said, buy her a candy bar. I'm like, what? (laughs) No. So I ignored it and I got a little bit closer. Buy her a candy bar. And I'm like, Lord, is that you? 
buy her a candy bar. And we get, you know, there's one person ahead of me. Buy her a candy bar. I'm like, okay, okay, Lord, I'll buy her a candy bar. I'm not saying this out loud. I'm just saying it to myself. And I'm like, all right, which one? They're right there, right? Which one? He goes, the three musketeers. The three musketeers? Why? He goes, just do it. And I told Joe, we were both stuffed because we went to dinner. He, I go, he goes, why are you getting a candy bar? And I'm like, don't ask. Don't ask. <laughs> just go with the flow. So I go up there. And I don't know what I'm doing. There's people behind me. I'm like, "Ah," you know. And then the girl goes, she's, you know, I just bought one or two things. And she goes, do you want that candy bar? You know, her head is down. Do you want that candy bar in your purse? I go, no, actually, that's for you. And I go, Lord, you better answer me quickly. (laughs) She's going, she put her head up for me. I go, yeah. So. The Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus want you to know that they know where you are, and they love you. And she looked at me, and she just started crying. I'm like, oh, what did I do? And then she goes, my daughter is at home right now, and she has a tumor. And she is suffering, but I have to be here because I need my insurance. I need my paycheck. And so I went around, and I, we hugged, and she cried, and I was crying with her. And I'm like, well, the Father and Jesus, Holy Spirit, they know and they love you. And they want you to know that. If I wouldn't have been obedient, I would have missed out on what an amazing calling of the Lord for me to do that. So, going on, we have common courtesies as a way to show our gifts as well. Reply if somebody texts you. Reply to an email if they email you. Keep the date. Keep the promise. What about saying hellos, goodbyes? <laughs> Let them know that you acknowledge them. Affirm someone's worth, that they mean something to you. Don't just assume they know it. Let them know, man, you mean so much to me. And I'm not just saying that. I really mean it. Give a mask. My friend Carmel gave me a mask, and it's the best one I've ever gotten yet. Wear a mask. Be a friend. Welcome a new neighbor in your neighborhood. Thanksgiving is next week. Can you believe it? I have a new neighbor across the street that moved in right when the COVID thing started. So she's been on her side. I've been on my side. I know she's had to see this crazy lady across the street hanging off ladders and doing crazy things. And probably thought, man, that's an old lady to be up there doing that because <laughs> they're younger over there. But we have not met. And I was at Hobby Lobby, and I'm like, I'm going to buy her a Christmas present. I'm going to go take it over there because the Holy Spirit's been working on me, too, in this study. I'm like, come on now. You've been a Christian in this neighborhood long enough. Go do something about it. <laughs> But now let's go one step further in this parable. Let's get out of our comfort zone of a lot of these little things that we can do. It's interesting that Jesus chose a Samaritan as as the good character in this parable, right? A Samaritan was where? From Samaria. Samaria was the capital city of the northern part of Israel. So it was part of Israel. But back in uh, 722 B.C., 
Samaria was came in and overtook them, and they ended up. Um, they had a battle with this uh, with the Assyrians and the Samaritans, and the Assyrians won, and so the Assyrians took over Samarita, Samarita, Samaria, and it was then repopulated by people from Babylon and other heathen cultures. You can find that in Second Kings seventeen twenty four. And so they brought with them into Samaria their pagan gods and all of their idolatry with them. And then they started intermarrying with the native Jews, bringing in a mixed race of now called Samaritans, which over time it displeased and they hated, they despised the Jews that were full-blooded Jews, despised them. It tells us in the scriptures that they wouldn't even go near Samaria. They would go around it. Now, also remember what other great thing came out of Samaria, just like Jericho, the woman at the well. Remember that story? Jesus is never willing that any should perish. He will go to whatever length, whatever depth to find a people to save them. And she ended up being one of the greatest missionaries in her own city. She had a bad reputation, too. Now, in this confrontation with the lawyer, Jesus not only went right to the heart of the issue with him, as he did with the woman at the well, if you know the story. Trust me, I would want to tell you, but I don't have time. But he also used um, it, I'm sorry, but he also used it to further train his disciples in who they needed to become because they were not there yet. Remember, they're students. We are students. We are not there yet. You see, the disciples along with us have the potential of becoming complacent and a respecter of persons. We can even isolate ourselves from the world, right? Right now especially. They're too scary out there. They're too rude. They're too snobbish. They're just mean. And I feel like a lamb among wolves. Yes, that's who we are. Well, these three religious men put on a show of religiousness for the general public around the temple of God and around each other on the hilltop. But out on a lonely, low road where nobody could see them, they were nothing more than fakes. Now, who was this unnamed man in the ditch left for dead? It says he was stripped and bloodied. So basically, you really couldn't determine his identity, his culture, his race, where he came from. Was he rich or was he poor? Often the clothing they wore would signify where they came from, their status. But he was naked. Was he famous or infamous? Was he a Jew, a Greek, or a Gentile? Was he dead or alive? You couldn't really tell. That's because he's anybody. He's everybody. Now, in closing, I want to share one of my own stories. And um, it was a story that taught me this valuable principle. As a woman of God, as a woman of the word of God, you know, like the Levites knew the word, we know the word, right? Well, several years ago, And other things have happened, but this is the one that the Lord brought to my memory that wanted me to share with you. Several years ago, when my um, daughters were in high school, um, my my oldest daughter, um, 
she, I didn't know it, but she had a rough freshman year. And then in her sophomore year, she tried out for cheerleader, and she made it. And then in her junior year, she was trying out, she tried out for cheerleader and made it again. Well, shortly into school, she told me, Mom, I'm having problems at school. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, ever since my freshman year, I've been bullied by these girls, these group of girls. And they keep bullying me. I go, well, what are they doing? Well, she didn't use the word bullying. You know, that's a word we're using now. But she used the word like harassing her. I go, what are they doing? Well, they're making fun of my nose. They're making fun of my hair. They're making fun of my clothes. They're making fun of everything. I go, wait a minute. You said from your freshman year, even now? I mean, you're hanging out with cheerleaders and, you know, no, it doesn't matter to them. They are always, if they see me in the hallway, they'll bump me. They'll call me names. And I'm like, whoa, mama bear. (laughs) I wanted to find those girls. And like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> and, and she goes, Mom, that's why I didn't tell you. I knew you would go over there and you would. And I'm like, okay, so what do you want me to do? Nothing, Mom. I'm just telling you because it's just been tough. And, and that's why I'm struggling with my grades. I go, well, you know, don't let them take that from you, too. They're taking, trying to take your dignity. You're trying to take, you know, who you are and, and belittle you. Don't. And then, so then on her junior year, trying out for cheerleader in her, for her senior year, we go, you know, all the moms are there with their daughters trying out. And she had to try out every time. We go and she goes, Mom, there's that girl. I go, what girl? The girl that's been harassing me all these years. I'm like, where? That girl. And she, that girl. <laughs> and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. What is she doing here? <laughs> and so I go, we were both like, oh. <laughs> and I, 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 I'm sitting there like I want to do something. I, I can't do anything really. And then so there she was every week, every week, because they had to go every week. And I'd see this girl there. And I would like, oh, she's doing terrible. She's not going to make it. You know, they had moves, right? They had moves, but she didn't have the moves. I'm like, she's not going to make it. Good. And then the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 you don't do that, Miss Holy Christian. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then he goes, tell Leah to go tell her, ask her if she wants help. I'm like, What? <laughs> Tell my daughter, who's been harassed by this girl, bullied all these years, go tell her, ask her if you need help. So I turned to Leah, and I'm like, "Um, Leah, why don't you go and help Raquel? And she's going, what? (laughs) I knew I'd get that response. Go help Raquel? I go, yeah, look, she's not doing good. She's not going to make it. And she's going, I don't care if she makes it. I go, babe, you got to go. Trust me, you got to go. She's going, Mom, you're asking the impossible. I know. I know I am. But go. So she went. And Raquel was sitting on the ground, and she went over, and she sat next to her. And they, I, you know, I wasn't there, so I could just watch. I was watching. Like, what's going on? You know, what are they saying? <laughs> 
So pretty soon Raquel and her stood up and Leah was showing her the moves because she'd been a cheerleader already for three years. So she was showing her the moves. And then the next time she was showing her the moves and she was improving. And then one day as it got closer to tryout day, we were driving you know, home from the practices and we saw Raquel walking down the street. And um, I said, uh, I'm going to ask her if she wants a ride. And Lee goes, Mom, how much more do you want out of us? And my other daughter's like, no way, Mom. And I'm like, this time, Leah, it's up to me. This time, God is telling me to stop. So I went over and I said, um, hey, Raquel, you, can I give you a lift? Would you, are, are you headed home? She was in a commercial area, a long way from houses. And she goes, yeah, if you don't mind, I got to get home in a hurry. And, and I'm late. And so I go, well, hop in. Where do you live? So she's telling me which way to go. And on the way, she just starts opening up her heart to us. Her mom was an alcoholic. Her mom may be home drunk on the couch or maybe not there at all and left her siblings home alone. So she had to rush home to get to the brothers and sisters so she could make sure they were okay. And so we get there, and she lived in a really poor little modest house in a really bad part of Corona. And so when we pulled up, the siblings came running out, and they saw her get out, and they were looking at us like, who are these people? And they hugged her, and they were hanging on her, and she's like, thank you, thank you. And she went in the house. We drove away, and everybody was quiet. Then we just started crying. And I said, Celia, we don't know other people's lives. Just because they behave badly and rudely and unkind, maybe they have a history that they're angry. She doesn't know us. We don't know them. And so it taught her a valuable lesson that day, and it taught me. And it's something that I'll carry with me the rest of my life. I don't know where Raquel is. I wish I did. But I, I, I think we left an impression on her heart. And that's what we can do to people. We can leave an impression on their heart, even if it's a one-time deal. In Romans 2, 4, in the New Living Translation, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does that mean nothing to you? Can you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And that's what he did from a sinful heart that we thought we loved everybody but we are exclusive. James 4.17 says, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, in closing this passage, Malachi 3, 1-3, Behold, I send, you, I send my messenger. I'm like a messenger today. You are messengers. And he will prepare the way before me, before Jesus, the Lord, whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, speaking about Jesus is coming, in whom you delight. We all delight. He's coming. He's coming. I know he's coming. So the messenger is there to say, he's coming, ladies. He's coming. Tell people, he's coming. We delight to know that he's coming. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. 
and he will sit at his, as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Remember Levi, the guy that knew the word? Don't we know the word? You're getting it right now. You're a cannibal right now. And purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. When we stand before the Lord, we don't want to be that self-righteous person that picks and chooses who we will give this gift to. We're to give it to anybody and everybody. Now, here's that verse that I told you is the uncomfortable part of Matthew chapter 25. And trust me, I hesitated to give it to you. But if I am the messenger and one who wants to obey the Lord's word and calling, I have to give you all of it because it's pertinent to your own salvation. It says then in verse 41, then he will also say to the help, to those on the left, remember the ones on the right, come and enjoy the blessings. Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never prepared for God's creation, his people, humans, just the devil and his angels, the demons. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then also, they will also answer and say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison or did not minister to you? Then he will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did not do it to the least of these, the one that you least would want to give it to, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord, the good and the bad. Actually, it's, it's incredible that we have this opportunity to hear the consequences of not obeying your word and not representing you in the completeness and in that maturity that we should all be at, Lord, to know not to be respecters of anybody, to know to give this amazing gift of kindness like this Samaritan did, one who wasn't even part of the family of God, did this, showing what you are like to us and how we are to be to others. So, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would empower us to look beyond our own little world and our own little lives and behind our masks that we would come out and that we would be clear the light of who you are, the light of the, into this world of darkness, Lord, the salt to this planet that is in need of help. And Lord, whatever is next, whatever is happening tomorrow, I pray you would help us to be consistent, Lord, no matter what happens next. So Lord, I love you and I thank you and I praise you for this great honor to speak on your behalf. Forgive me, Lord, if I didn't represent you in the best way possible. 
I pray anything that didn't come out right, you would just cleanse it in the ears of my sister with that, that soap that you talked about in Malachi. Just cleanse us and make us pure and holy. In the name of Jesus, amen.